Today on the History Factory Podcast, Vans with the company's Catherine Acosta. I'm Jason Dressel, and welcome to the History Factory Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of business and history. In this edition of the pod, my History Factory colleague Erin Narlock sits down with her friend Catherine Acosta, the archivist and historian at Vans, the iconic California shoe and apparel company. The heritage of Vans is so integral to not only the brand, but also product development. And as you're about to hear, much more. This is really a behind the scenes conversation that not only speaks to the power of Vans heritage, but also some of the more operational elements of how it's managed, including where the archives function sits within the business, how the archivist role supports storytelling, and even serves as a resource for community building and engagement. So let's jump into it, or as they say at Vans, let's get off the wall with Catherine Acosta and Eric Narlock. Catherine Acosta, thank you so much for being with us here today. Can you just give us a little introduction on who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, I am the brand archivist for Vans, which is a VF company. And I've been here doing this role as the one to really start and kick off the archive because previously Vans didn't have it. I started in 2018 as an intern and then stayed on as a um, essentially a contractor for a little bit and then fully came into the role in July of 2019. So it's been overall about five years. Amazing. And Van's one of those brands with an incredible story and heritage. Like, what do you think the power of Van's heritage is? Um, well, I think, yeah, we we are definitely a heritage brand. I would argue that's not something that we we say ourselves directly often, but um, Vans has been around since the mid-1960s. It was started in 1966 in Anaheim, California, which is in Orange County in Southern California. And we've remained headquartered in this area since then. So in terms of having real roots to the geography and the communities that surround this area and the brand's early history, it's very much there. And then, of course, what Vans is most well-known for is its really authentic and intrinsic relationship to skateboarding and really the history of skateboarding too. Amazing. Yeah, it's definitely one of those skate brands, but it also has a connection to culture, right? Like artists and musicians. Yeah. And, you know, I think the the foundation for that really starts in the 70s when the brand creates its first skate shoe and really sets up, really opens the doors of embracing skateboarding at a time when other other footwear companies, other fashion brands at large just wasn't really recognizing or speaking to that community. And Vans started that. And that allowed through really the, the history of skateboarding developing a sort of subcultural aspect to it, opening the doors for music um, and art and culture um, to really sort of uh, come in and sort of be part of the thread of Vans. And so that's been ongoing now for decades. Fascinating. So the Vans archive, where do you where do you sit within the organization? Um currently I sit in our marketing um department. I report directly to our chief marketing officer. And really I'm at this time I'm wearing a lot of hats 
of really helping the brand with storytelling when it comes to anything that is based, has any roots in heritage. Um, and we're still in the process of building the archive. It's not a fully fleshed out thing at this point. So a lot of excitement there, but really my job at this moment is really just to keep advocating and showing the excitement that the archive can provide and how it can really set a foundation for storytelling for the brand overall. That's amazing. Can you give an example of how maybe consumers can see your work in the market, how the archive maybe influenced any product releases or campaigns? Yeah, um, about a year ago, we did a big uh, Classic Sins Forever campaign, which was a big brand campaign that was showed um, across the world in different different locations. But it had a really, really nice execution at some of our stores. Um, and one was our, our store here in Southern California, our, our kind of boutique uh, downtown LA store. And that the actual installation of that, which was speaking to our icons and what made these things classics, was showing actual archival imagery and also objects from our collection that spoke to sort of the, the history and the diversity of how these things have developed over time. And so it was a really, really well done execution, too. And it was playful. It also um, really used the models that were styled in a way that was reflective of the decades to which these shoes were sort of paired with. So, for example, the Authentic, which is one of our oldest and longest standing um, iconic uh, silhouettes that was, you know, originally designed in the 1960s. And so we kind of the model was styled in a sort of, you know, homage to 60s. Uh, early 70s fashion and stuff like that. So it was it was historical, but it was playful. And again, the execution in the actual store, and this was just one of the stores, it was the one that I got to see in person, um, was just done really, really well. And again, showed the breadth of archival storytelling. That's incredible. When you think about marketing campaigns, do you also have an influence in product development? Are you utilizing the archive to support any re-releases or any stories on product? Yeah, and that has really been um, a learning experience because as I said, I've only been here for about four years officially. So in many ways, even though there wasn't a formal archive before my role existed, there were long-term employees with, you know, a lot of institutional knowledge and internal collections and, and, and some, you know, strategic thought about how all of that came into play. But now with me being here in the archive, there's, you know, it's still again a work in progress of trying to figure out what is the best, what is the best time to pull me in? When can I have the most influence? And right now I would really say that things are shifting more where it's coming through the archival lens first and fleshing the story portion out, then creating the product where sometimes it hadn't always been that way. So, and also just really, again, using the archive to, again, just even give sort of guardrails and guidance for how we do storytelling around um, anything that is really attached to our past. That's great. So, fans are really kind of these micro communities, right? It's a real community-based brand. How do you interact with them? Or can you tell us a little bit more about the the kind of the community frontier at Vans? Yeah. So Vans, I mean, long before I got here, there had always been a really strong online community of people who collected Vans. And 
and people who are interested in the brand's history, but not necessarily its its deep past, but also more recent history. And, you know, kind of leaning into the sneakerhead collector space too, and sort of this hybrid space um, of people interested in the actual older, older stuff when the, um, particularly in the collector world, there's a big interest in um, USA made Vans because Vans was operating its own manufacturing um, here in California up and through the mid nineties. Um, so there's these different periods of interest for collectors. And I really, there hasn't been any formal um, formal approach from the brand other than me, myself as an individual, making myself publicly accessible through Instagram and sort of connecting my work identity with my personal one. So the people who are really interested in that can connect and see, you know, get some glimpse to what I'm doing. But as I said, I really always position it as, um, as being a sort of work in progress. And one of the things that existed before I got here, which I've, I've been trying to support really robustly, um, is that there's a collector group that a couple of years ago started this challenge every July called 31 Days of Vans. That's the name of the hashtag they use. And for every day in July, they post a pair of their favorite vans. So in the last two years now, I've participated and uh, Steve Van Doren, who's the son of the founder of Vans, who works here currently as our VP of Events and Promotions, he has participated. But him and I have worked together this past summer to kind of um, put together an event along with some other colleagues here um, to host that group of the, the core group of that collector group and bring them here and sort of, you know, kind of give them the royal treatment and again, share with them the knowledge that I've been able to, to um, a lot of the undiscovered stuff that I've been able to sort of shed light on here at the brand and share it with them. And again, just giving them, you know, more interest in, you know, information about the history that they didn't know and putting them close with our design team too. Um, so I, my goal is to really, um, you know, try to get more support from the company, from the brand, to you know, embrace that community and do more stuff like that. I think right now it feels very niche, but it really is. It you know, there's, um, it, it's getting out there. It's growing. The community keeps growing and growing. You're brokering those relationships, right, and reinforcing brand fandom, which is incredible. Yeah, and you know, we have more serious or more robust collectors who are also dealers of vans. Um, Henry Davies, who works in um, London, um, he's been he's been a very well established and started off as a blogger uh, many years ago and has built a reputation. Um, and then um, Jürgen Bloomfield, who, work, who works out of Germany, works out of Berlin. Um, he is really knowledgeable and connoisseur of skateboarding history. So there's all these sort of um, other pockets too, and other other degrees of of collector connoisseur, um, you know, uh, historian people working in this space, um, bringing their not putting their knowledge out there in the world. So again, trying to bridge this all together and formally connected to the brand, even though the brand has worked with some of these collectors previously, it's been very much on a case by case basis. It hasn't been consistent. So my my bigger vision is to again bring it all together. That's great. And you mentioned a hashtag. Can you sh say that again? So in case any listeners want to go out to Instagram and and find those those uh, pictures of hands. And, and look at the the years past. It's um it's the hashtag is 31 days of vans. Very cool. Very cool. 
Um, so if you think of the future of Vans, how do you imagine or envision the archive supporting the brand as it moves forward? Um, well, one would be to, to have it fully established, have the collections part be organized and have that foundation and then be accessible internally first, right? That's the goal because right now the way things are is that it's a bit on hold in terms of the development of that until I can get proper resources, the staffing and budget to really build it out. And that also takes time. I don't think people realize that you don't just, you just don't create a, a, a archive or collection overnight or in a year unless you're given a lot of money and pe people to do it. <laughs> um, so these things take time. And, you know, to then, of course, down the road to make some of that content accessible to our consumers and offer deeper, meaningful storytelling and creating some platform uh, for that is, you know, would be the real end goal. Um, and obviously having a formal space that could be publicly accessible as some sort of gallery space, you know, whether that's here or traveling exhibitions, you know, I feel like we've since I've been here, I've been playing with small um, examples of doing that kind of work. But, you know, it, it's it's trying to build up the momentum towards leading towards the bigger opportunity. Um, and again, I think. I think it's really it's really easy to think that these these, you know, um, the people understand like an archive in a, in a corporate context also has many, many different functions you know, and is providing many different things. It's not the same um, model that's at a museum or a university or a traditional library setting. It's very, very different here. And you have to be very flexible and adapt and you have to, preservation and best practices aren't always at the forefront of your decision-making. And so again, and also being really flexible towards the business needs, which I would say that's the biggest, the big consistent story of me being here is having to be extremely flexible during some difficult times at the company. And again, putting different hats on and, and being able to, to do that. So I think um, all of that, you know, just leads to these things take time. Yes, there is, there is alchemy in all of the work, but one thing that remains the same is the investment of time. In, in building kind of the resource of a brand archive and positioning someone like yourself as being that trusted partner, thought partner with so many individuals. Um, out of curiosity, do you have any stories or kind of gems from the archive that you love to talk about because they reflect kind of the ever-present Vans culture or what it is meant as a, as a brand? Yeah, um, actually really recently, like as in the last week or the last, last week, then within the last week, um, I was given um, some Xerox copies of sales meetings from our district managers and store managers here in Southern California from the late 1970s um, that I hadn't previously seen. And I don't know if we have the original copies, but we had these copies, which came from a long-term employee here. And what's really revealing about that is that one, it's shedding light onto a time before, right when Vans started to get national recognition. And it's also shedding light onto the time because most of them from 1977, 78, um, of when Vans was very local to just Southern California and to when we developed our off-the-wall, our original off-the-wall product franchise, 
our original skateboarding shoes, which today are icons and really sort of set the formal, um, are really symbolic of when Vans really married skateboarding and brought it together under our iconic red off the wall logo, which is the heel tab on all of our shoes today. And these the sales meeting notes vary in sort of speaking to obviously you know, employee relations and just numbers that the store is drawing. And also the variety of product that wasn't skateboarding related, because that's the majority of what they were talking about. So it really sheds light on these sort of um, things that we don't really think about today as being part of the brand, that the brand really was a mom and pop company that was catering to every like middle-class Americans living out here in Southern California and offering shoes for the entire family. And also, but it gives a little bit of more more insight and anecdote to the development and how important that off-the-wall franchise was for the brand at the time. Because they talk repeatedly about, they make reference to that, you know, they're, they placed their first national ads in skateboarding magazines. They were getting orders internationally because those magazines were distributed, not just nationally, but internationally. And so it's really giving a glimpse to the very, very beginning and something where we don't, in our, in the company's collections, we don't have a lot of um, documentation uh, about what was going on. So, you know, I've only done one quick pass through them, but again, starting to work with that document and really flesh out um, the story of the pre-skateboarding vans and what the company was doing and then what that beginning moment looked like. And also what it looked like from a retail point of view, from a, from from the store point of view too. That's what it's sh it's sharing a lot of because we were being done by store managers and district managers. So it's not necessarily from a consumer point of view or from an executive point of view at Vans. It's from this very distinct one. Um, so there's a lot there to unpack, but you know it's special. Yeah, that's incredible. You think of that time in Vans history to when it becomes, you know, almost ubiquitous with popular culture. If you think about different moments in popular culture, where where are some of the places that Vans show up? Well, the, the biggest one, of course, is in 1982 when Fast Times at Ridgemont High came out, right, which has become, again, a very landmark moment for the brand and really pushed the brand into... Um, really the national like lens because there are editorials and newspapers across the country in the early eighties speaking to, you know, um, the desirability of wanting the checkerboard slip on and checkerboard shoes from this small company in Southern California, because it was shown in this film and Sean Penn in this archetype, Sean Penn playing Jeff Spicoli, the character who's shown wearing the shoes, who's also becomes very much an archetype of what Southern California youth culture and lifestyle is about with his connections as a character to, to sort of nonconformity, to individuality, to surfing and skate culture. Um, you know, um, also stoner culture to a certain degree. <laughs> There's plenty of references to, to that at a time when this really became, you know, really representative of, of a lot of different, a lot of different things and, and the American consciousness of, you know, what Southern California living was. And this shoe in terms of its design is so simple. Um, and it becomes, it becomes associated with all of these different associations. And that's a really big pop culture moment. And you can't underplay that. However, though, it's also, um, it's not the only one. That's just sort of the biggest one. And it also 
lends itself is to uh, really also cementing um, the brand's identity with youth culture at large and not just the, the skateboarding or BMX piece, which were the two main connections at that time. It really takes vans into a real lifestyle setting. They wouldn't have said that then, but we say that we could say that today more. That's great. Just a question. Did you ever imagine yourself doing the job that you have now? Did you know it existed? Um, just out of curiosity, you know. Uh, well, no, <laughs> no is the answer. Um, no, because this, I mean, I think, again, the, my, the story of how my role got created here, and this is, you know, um, a story that, um, reflects others at the brand too, I learned was that, um, Vans had had, and V have had a great, a great track record of hiring interns. And so this started off as an internship to assess what an archive would look like. And part of that fit was that my background was museum studies, curatorial studies, and working in those settings from a, a design history point of view and having some personal connection and interest in fashion history and some formal opportunities, but also having only working with an archive more as a researcher, not the actual foundational piece. But that that is something that one one can learn. And again, that it's important, but what's actually more important is the, really the cultural understanding of the brand. And also for me personally, I grew up in Southern California, very cognizant of what Vans represented to me at different times in my life. Um, I always associated very much with skateboarding. So there is a part of me, this very purist, very narrow way of thinking, but reflected the subcultures I was involved with, which was punk and hardcore in the LA area in the late 90s and early 2000s, that if you were wearing Vans in that in that scene, you skated. I didn't skate, so I wasn't going to be wearing them. Because if I wore them, that would mean I was inauthentic and being a poser. And that wasn't necessarily reflective because Vans was a really big brand at that time and also had such was doing so well with the warp tour but to me that was really reflective of mainstream culture and sort of big record labels capitalizing on punk and pop punk that was not my space i was more in this underground space so that really i'm sharing a very personal but very um very validated point of view too of the brand that also just shows the the that there's importance and not wearing something as well um, for exactly that reason of, you know, not having that authentic connection, because in my mind, the skateboarding piece, that history was so intrinsic to the, to the shoes from my perspective. That's amazing. Uh, and he answered that question, but I did it in the, <laughs> but I, I like the answer, but I like the response. So I think it was a really valid response. Also understanding identity, right. And fashion and footwear, and the role that Vans plays in identity creation, right, for for some consumers. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, you know, one of the, the biggest strengths I've been able to bring to the brand and to developing the archive is having, is having a different background, actually, and coming from this formal academic uh, place with design history being more of my wheelhouse and decorative arts, but applying the same methodology and really contextualizing Vans as history in bigger ways that if I were coming more from a true fan fan point of view and a love and, and really deep connection with skateboarding, it would just really allow for different interpretations of the brand. And I think this kind of um, 
gives um, some context to one of my personal biggest stories I've championed in the archive because it's so deeply important and it makes Van so unique in comparison to other American footwear and international footwear brands is just that part of our early business before skateboarding got formally involved was making custom-made shoes with fabric provided by customers. That in itself is very innovative in the footwear industry and in the history of, of, of athletic footwear. But what's more striking and something that had gone largely unacknowledged, unrecognized, because there hadn't been anyone here to really start to craft a story and also find the actual primary sources and documentation to show that this was important, um, which I've been doing, is that a lot of that business in the late 60s and 70s was for women. So it was women creating one-of-a-kind custom sneakers with a mindset of not functionality for an athletic function, but with functionality to fashion and the sense of one's identity and wanting to match their shoes to their outfit. And so to me, and there's so many photos now, there's Super 8 footage, there's ads I've been able to find that the brand hadn't previously seen in local newspapers um, that highlight how important that actually was. So I very passionately argue here internally and feel like this will start to get incorporated into the bigger consumer storytelling piece down the road, that we have had a very, very close and authentic relationship to women and individuality, expressions of creativity, and um, really also reflecting just middle-class everyday women and their sense of fashion and self uh, through our product. And it's a, it's a very strong, very unique history. It also challenges a lot of um, conceptions within the sneakerhead world, which is so heavily male-dominated. And there are women in that space, but this focus is so much on athleticism too. And so this has also led me as like a research project and looking beyond just Vans and what they were doing to really looking at how sneakers were marketed in the post-war period, particularly in the 50s and the 60s by brands that don't longer exist um, and what that space looked like. And there's a lot of, lot of content about young women, teenage girls and young women. And I think it can, it's something that should not be overlooked. No. Not at all. Purchasing power. I think that, you know, Birth just a teenager. Yeah. Consumer culture. I mean, Vans was born out of, out of that time period in American history. So incredible because now today we, we talk about a personalized consumer journey, right? And consumer segmentation and delivering what the consumer wants at point of sale. And this is truly an innovative story that you, you've, you've discovered or helped to, you know, craft around Van's, you know, experience in that space. And I think just the story you've shared with us is an incredible example of how positioning, you know, a brand archive and a historian as a strategic asset for a brand's future. Yeah. And it really, I mean, to me, this is all very interconnected too. And I like to really step out in this a very holistic story and history here, because that sets up the framework for how Vans would have been very open to embracing skateboarding and building that relationship, which obviously is insanely important and has very much been the center and focus. And also sets, um, again, a sort of, you know, um, 
uh, a foundation for how it would become really intrinsic with youth culture during the 1980s with that fast time moment. There's a whole bigger story there to unpack. And like I mentioned, I think just even thinking that, well, Vans started in 1966 at the the tail, the the boom of like the, the boom of consumer culture in the United States and purchasing power and all of that, not it wasn't that long before that the teenager was created as as a consumer as a as a consumer demographic then you know there's so much there to like to put it all in together and you can see that there's a lot of power within that story and a lot of it is so relevant to what the brand is doing today and where the brand will go and how it can use these authentic moments in history to really really you know pull everything through yeah. Well, we're going to be here. We're going to be uh, listening for those stories. And thank you today for your time. It's been incredible to gain some additional insights into what you do at Vans, the value you bring and the stories that you tell and the the research you're uncovering. So thank you, Catherine. Thank you. All right, folks, that concludes this episode of the History Factory podcast. Go to Vans.com to learn more about the history of the brand or to buy product. Thanks again for Vans archivist and historian Catherine Acosta and History Factory's Aaron Narlock for a great conversation. As always, thanks for listening to the History Factory podcast. I'm Jason Dressel. Be well.